If you have your Bibles, open up with me to James chapter 4. And tonight is a standalone message. We're not part of Do Not Disturb. We wrapped up Do Not Disturb last week. We spent four weeks asking the question, um, do we control our phones or do our phones control us? Ultimately, does technology, do resources glorify Jesus or do we use them to glorify ourselves? And we spent a great number of the beginning of the semester talking about real love. When people come into the view, do they experience hypocrisy or do they experience people that are genuinely trying to live out their faith? Not perfect people. Not perfect people. As we've said this from the beginning, if you are coming here to put your faith in me, you're going to be let down. Okay? You can talk to my wife. Uh, I'm not a comedian. I'm not an entertainer. You can ask my wife that too. I'm not here to make you laugh. Um, and uh, if you come here and put your faith in the view or Bellevue, that's a mistake. Don't do that. This is a place of imperfect people. But we have the opportunity to know and worship the perfect God. And, and the name that we worship above all names, the only name we worship is Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ has changed your life, can you make some noise tonight? Amen. Jesus Christ changed my life. Amen. I'm not a product of religion. I'm not a product of business. I'm a product of encountering Jesus Christ at 21 years old. And uh, having a radical conversion in my life. Jesus Christ changed my life. That's what we celebrate. That's what we worship about. That's what we preach about is the name of Jesus Christ. And so grateful that you're here with us tonight. Look with me at James chapter 4, starting in verse 13 is where we're going to pick up tonight. And uh, this chapter, many of you are familiar with James. I did James 5 a, a couple of weeks ago. James is very straightforward. It's basically a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. So as James is writing this letter, he's probably often thinking about the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. But what we find here in chapter 4 is the big emphasis is uh, pride versus humility. Pride versus humility. Uh, it's very easy to spot when you're around a prideful person. <laughs> and it's hard to spot it in yourself because sometimes you're so prideful you think, I would never struggle with pride. But it's easy to sense when you're around someone. That is prideful. Well, James is talking all about that. He's talking all about the difference between being prideful and being humble. And so look with me at verse 13. Coming off a lot of that teaching, look what he says about our will and God's will, starting in verse 13. James says, Come now, you who say, quote, Today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. We can keep verse 13 up for a minute. Um, summertime's coming, aren't y'all excited to be traveling, right, amen? COVID's lightening up a little bit, excited to travel, get back out, yeah, amen, go, get to the beach. I'm sorry, so many college students are like, oh, I just want to lay out at the beach and get some sun, right, travel, right, this sounds familiar to us, and also business, make a profit, these things are not unfamiliar to us. What he's quoting here is very familiar. He says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Look at what he says then. Verse 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring or what your life will be, for you are like vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Let's read 14 again. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are like vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. In fact, he goes on to say in verse 15, instead you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Verse 16, but as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. And I love verse 17 because James can be any more straightforward. The translation here is incredible. So it is sin to know the good 
and yet not do it. A cross-reference. You think about Jesus. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things I say? It is sin to know the good and yet not do it. God bless you. I think God bless you over here too. I think I may have missed one just in case. God bless you. God bless you. <clears throat> An incredible passage from James. And if you're on social media or one of our leaders, you know my title tonight. It's very long um, but very fitting. The title of the message tonight, if you're taking notes, I hope that you are. If you knew how short life really is. If you knew how short life really is. If only you and I knew how quickly life passes. If only we knew that life, our life, is a mere vapor. Let's go before the Lord in prayer tonight and ask, and ask really that he, look, this is not a transition, okay? This prayer, I want to invite you to pray with me here, and I'm serious on this. I want you to be willing to pray and ask that the Spirit of God would come down and meet in this place. I don't want to be here if God's not here. Amen? I don't want to be in this place. I don't want to talk. I don't want us to go through the motions. I want us to come into this room and experience a word from the Lord, not based on just feelings or emotions, but actually experience the Lord's presence in this place. I experienced it during worship, and I want to invite you to pray that during this sermon we would experience the Spirit of God. Is that fair? Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Lord, we live lives that are constantly changing and shifting, even as Paul reminded us that trials and battles and storms in our life are real. Lord, you stay constant. When our circumstances change, your character does not change. When we're met with battles and trials, when we're caught off guard, Lord, you're never caught off guard. <laughs> so, Father, we give you all the praise. We thank you for the name of Jesus and that Jesus Christ died on the cross for every sin of this world, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. Hallelujah. Lord, we praise you for the name of Jesus, the name that's been changing lives for well over 2,000 years, God. We praise you for Jesus. And God, I do ask tonight in this room that you would bind the enemy in the name of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, by the word of God, and by the spirit of God. I pray against any discouragement or distractions in this room, Lord, that you would have your way with me, with us, with our hearts, with our minds, Lord, that you would have your way with us. We want to experience you. We don't want to go, we don't want to play church tonight, Lord. We don't want to play church. We don't want to play college ministry. <laughs> we want to experience you open up the heavens and come down and meet with us, Lord. So we humble ourselves at the feet of Jesus, at the cross. God, please, please come down and meet with us tonight, Lord. And that's your prayer tonight where you say amen. Amen. I don't want to play church. I don't want to play college ministry. I want, to, I want to experience the Lord tonight. Here's how I want to start. I want you to think about your bank account for a minute. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right? I wanted to start on a positive note and encouraging note. I want you to think about your bank account for a minute. Some of you are like, Ugh, I don't have one. <laughs> My parents pay me gas money. <laughs> you know? I want you to think about your bank account for a minute. I don't know what situation you're in. I don't know where you are with your bank account, but I just want you to think. Sheridan, I want to give you a scenario. All right. I like scenarios. I enjoy scenarios. I want to throw out a scenario to you. I just want you to hear me out for a minute. Humor me, okay? Imagine that every morning you woke up, okay? If you don't have a bank account, imagine it's a suitcase. <laughs> you know, we cash. I didn't have a bank account until I was 22, so, you know, I, I, I feel you. <laughs> I lived on my parents. 
unashamed. <laughs> My parents were watching tonight, too. They're like, yeah, he sure did. <laughs> he owes us for an Xbox, you know. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I'm not the only one. I want you to imagine when you wake up in the morning, every day, $86,000 is deposited into your account. Yeah, okay, yeah, now we're talking, right? <laughs> it's not actually going to happen, guys. Some of you are like, wow, this is a great place. <laughs> it's like Oprah in here. You get $86,000. You get $86,000. You know? <laughs> it's not actually going to happen, but humor me. <laughs> we're going to have fun tonight. $86,000. If you don't have a bank account, it's suitcase cash. But here's the deal. Uh, whatever you don't spend does not carry over to the next day. All right? You can't, can't save it up, can't hold on to that suitcase, can't roll it over, can't run. Whatever of that 86, hear me out for a minute, at $86,000, whatever you don't spend, whatever you don't use, you lose. What would you do with that money <laughs> every day? Oh, yeah, I don't have to wonder. I'm not asking, like, actually, I know what you do. You spend the money, wouldn't you? Be honest. At first, here's how we would start. I'll be honest with you. Here's how I would start. I would start at the Nike store. <laughs> first day, I'd buy some J's. I'd buy some Nike clothes. I'd buy some, my wife some J's. I'd start buying some Nike clothes, right? We all would. we kind of buy some of the things we want. Some of y'all are like, man, I get a new car. Dakota would walk in with a face tattoo, you know. <laughs> um, Jacob would have a farm. Um, <laughs> I don't even know if those are expensive or not, man. Uh, I guess they are. It's land. Uh, <laughs> You gotta supply the animals. PJ would have Crocs. You'd spend that money. You know, you'd have Crocs for days. Multicolored Crocs. What's the little things called that you put in the Crocs? Gibbets. Thank you. Somebody was quick. I didn't even finish that sentence. They're like gibbets. <laughs> right? You would, if you're honest, humor me. You would spend the eighty-six thousand. And then once you got tired of spending it on yourself, because that would get old quick. Anytime we do stuff just for ourselves. It gets old pretty quick. You start realizing I'm living a selfish life anytime. And what you would do from there, what I would do is I would start using that money every day to help the people in my life. When you I have a sister who's about to graduate college, I would help her with um, college and, and her master's and, and moving or whatever. I would help my parents with retiring. I'm sure you would. Maybe your parents, siblings. You'd start maybe helping people with medical bills and helping people out, you know, in your life and, and using it for the gospel, you know, using it for the gospel. You would send missionaries out. You would use that money to advance the kingdom. Uh, if you're like me, if that $86,000 did not roll over to tomorrow, you would use every single penny because you wouldn't waste it. Here's what I want you to understand. Every single day that you wake up in the morning, every single day, you have roughly, you ready for this? You're going to love this. You have roughly 86,000 seconds every day. Every day that you wake up, God, when he puts breath in your lungs, he deposits into your account 86,000 seconds. And just like we talked about with the money, that time that you have every day, that 86,000 seconds, however many, you know, 24 hours, that 86,000 seconds does not roll over to tomorrow. You cannot save it. Whatever you don't use, you what? You lose. Now, here's what's amazing. We all agreed about money that we would not waste any bit of that money and we would use it for other people, especially when we realize how selfish it is to just use it on ourselves. But what I want to ask you tonight is, how do you spend those 86,000 seconds each day? Is it all just for you? Because with money, that get old quick, and I think time, it gets old quick too. Let me ask them, those 86,000 seconds that God gives you every single day, are you using that with the same sense of urgency you would cash to advance the gospel? 
Are you using that to help people in your life? And I ask myself these questions all week long. Am I using what God has put in my account to glorify him with it? Or is it just to build my name? See, what we don't realize as college students is how short life is and how quickly it passes us by. If you've ever been around anybody that's slightly older, right, what do they say over and over and over? Time flies by. You hang out with your grandparents? That's yours? Hang out with your grandparents? What do they say? It feels like yesterday I was your age. You ever heard them say that? Do you think that they all just got together in a boardroom meeting and said, man, let's just all say this. And, and you know, it sounds good. Let's just keep like <laughs> So stupid. <laughs> I just imagine like a big group of older people. What are we going to tell the youngins this month? Life's short, you know? Or have they realized quite literally that life passes literally with the blink of an eye? Isn't it amazing that as fast as modern Science and technology has advanced. We cannot escape 70 years. Isn't it amazing that the average man lives 70 years, four months, give or take, three months, give or take, and the average woman lives to be 73, and that's on this earth if you're lucky to get to 70. And what makes life so special, I wrote this down, is that none of us actually know how much time we have. I love going on walks at park because you do, you get to see those older people, those older married couples who have had time on this earth to live and glorify the kingdom, hopefully. But then you see tragic accidents happen. I don't know if you're familiar with the name Terrence Clark. You know that name? Terrence Clark was a 19-year-old five-star recruit playing at the University of Kentucky. I know we're not fans of Kentucky because of Calipari and left Memphis, and we're still all bitter over that, and we're still a little uptight about that. But uh, Terrence Clark was a five-star recruit playing at Kentucky, and the other day, you think about this, he would be in our ministry at 19 years old. Could be on a leadership team. The other day, he was killed in a car accident. Headed for the draft, about to go to the NBA. 19 years old, and one wrong whatever happened in the car, boom, life taken away. But see, we don't realize that. It's either that we don't realize it or we don't believe it. One of the two. We don't believe that life is like a vapor. We don't believe that life is short. To be honest with you, we believe we are untouchable. We hear James and we disagree. We believe nothing can harm us. You say, Daniel, that's not me. <laughs> I, I stay away from knives. I don't play with fire. I know that I can get hurt. Here's what I want to say to you, though. Do you ever text and drive? Change music and drive? <laughs> yeah. Some of you are like, oh, I don't text and drive. I do go through Spotify, though. <laughs> uh, Justin Bieber. <laughs> What's amazing is I read this in a book that I was reading about texting and driving. Are you ready for this? Don't miss this. If you're going 55 miles an hour, 55 miles an hour, and you send one text message, it takes on average 4.7 seconds to send a text message. So if you're in a car and you send a 4.7 second text message while going 55 miles an hour, you just drove the length of a football field without looking up. <laughs> so statistically, 18 to 24-year-olds, and even me at 27, we have a real problem with texting and driving. And you know why we have a problem with texting and driving? Because we all believe we're invincible. It can never happen to me. Daniel, you're trying to scare me tonight. I'm not, but James is pretty straightforward. <laughs> Can be taken away like that. So tonight I'm going to give you two things. Very simple, very straightforward, that I want you to think about in your life. The first one is this. If you and I really knew how short life is, number one, 
You wouldn't place your faith in your plans. Some of us already have plans to get to cook out tonight. You wouldn't place your faith, or Mexican, you wouldn't place your faith in your plans. If we really knew how short life was. Now, remember what James said a moment ago in verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are like vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Isn't this good for where you are in your life right now? 20s, I'm 27, we're all trying to plan our lives out. Yeah, I see smiles. We have this incredible plan, don't we? I love, I wrote this down, I love uh, sitting down with college students because <laughs> I get to talk to a lot of you all throughout the week. And I love hearing your five-year plan. I do, I smile. Inside, I laugh. <laughs> But I love hearing your five-year plan. Because when I was 22, I had a five-year plan, and not a single bit of it came true. <laughs> it's been better. In fact, in our 20s, uh, we're trying to have a perfect plan. And some of the things he highlights, traveling. All of us want to travel. We make plans for traveling. We make plans for doing business. We make plans for making a profit. Here's how I'm going to build my career. Here's the money that I'm going to make. Here's where I'm going to go in ministry. And those in ministry are not free from this. We do this all the time. Oh, I'm going to be this pastor by this age. Or I'm going to be this director by this age. And I'm going to have this kind of ministry. And I'm going to do it this way and that way and this way and that way. And I'm going to live in that city. Oh, I'm going to have this kind of house. I'm going to have these kind of countertops. <laughs> I don't have these kind of countertops. The Lord really wasn't faithful to me. So I'm going to get some hardwood floors in there, maybe a pool table, maybe a pool. We get all these plans, and we're lining it out. Me and my wife are trying to buy a house, and we're trying to make up all these plans about, well, we need a house like this, don't we? And we want a house like that. Uh, not this neighborhood, but that neighborhood. What about kids? We want kids to go to that school. And we're years away from having kids, but we want to move to an area where the kid can go to a certain school, even though we have no idea where we will be in two to three to four to five years. Nobody does. Not one person in this room knows if they have tomorrow. Not one of us in here can look at me in the eye or look at your, yourselves in the eye and say, I have tomorrow. Not with 100% certainty. But we've got all these plans. We've got all these dreams, which are so good to have. I didn't say planning or dreaming was bad. But putting your faith in those plans is what gets you. You see, you sat down, and immediately as I started talking, you said, oh, here he goes. He's a pastor. He wants me to just be wide open to God and just walk around and say, God, what you want me to do today? I don't have a career or nothing. No, 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 no. I did not say it was wrong to plan, Ethan, but I did say it's wrong to put your faith in your plans. In fact, Proverbs 27, verse 1, don't boast about tomorrow, for you don't know what a day might bring. I love Proverbs. I've been reading Proverbs in my quiet time. Proverbs is so straightforward. They don't play no games. Literally, one verse will say, you are a fool if you do things your way. Like, you want to be humble to read Proverbs. It doesn't illustrate it. It's just very straightforward. Like, you're a fool if you live your way and not God's way. It, it is so straightforward. But not only that, Paul, as he was doing ministry in Acts chapter 20, told us the same thing. God bless you. It may have been a cough. I don't know. But Acts 20, he says, starting in verse 22 and 23, and now I am on my way to Jerusalem. Why? Because I'm compelled by the Spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there. Except that in every town, the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. I want to tell you something tonight, Caution. I know you're planning, and that's great. Don't put your faith in it, though. But here's the great truth. As good as you can even plan tomorrow, you don't know tomorrow. But when it comes to God's plan, God owns tomorrow. <laughs> Amen. If you don't know that you even have a tomorrow, 
But God is in charge of tomorrow. Wouldn't you want to give your plan to the one in charge of tomorrow? Because he might know what to do with it, not you and I. Say, oh, why do we not do that? Because we like being in control. I don't want to give away control to God with my future. Why? Because if he does something I don't like, me and him are going to have to duke it out. You like that? Duke it out? I haven't said that all week. I don't know where that came from. I wrote this down when I was thinking about this. When you put your faith in your plans, what happens when one day God's plan conflicts with your plan? For real, and we're just having a conversation. James is the one who said it, not me. But when you put your faith in your plans, what happens one day when God's plan is different than your plan? If your faith is in your plans, then you will worship your plans and you won't obey God's plan. You will die on a hill for what you want and your desires. And if God ever, ever, calls you to do something different, it's going to drive you crazy. You're not going to be able to walk with the Lord because I've been there. I've been so tight on my plan and what I think I'm going to do in my life that when God threw me a curveball, I couldn't obey him. And if you don't believe that God will throw you a curveball in your life, you haven't been living long enough. Can I remind you that the Samaritan woman, her plan was just to get some water. She got to the well and encountered living water. (laughs) Her plan that day was just to draw some water from the well, and she encounters a Messiah who literally calls her out of her sin. She repents, she comes to know him, and then leads her entire town to Jesus Christ. I had another one, too, on here. Her whole life was changed by a curveball. What happens when God throws you a curveball? What happens? What happens when he calls you to do something that's not a part of your plan? If you don't believe it, what happens? You're not as familiar with scripture as you need to be. Nehemiah had a great setup in Susa, Persia. And then God started impressing on his heart something he wasn't ready for. Something that he wasn't prepared for. To go and and leave a great city with great trade and great business. And a great position worldly wise. Right hand to the king. And called to leave that and go to a city with no walls. What if God were to call you to a situation that from a worldly standpoint is not a good situation? Would you go? What if everything worldly-wise did not make sense for what God is putting on your heart? Would you obey? I loved it. My wife, I was working on this sermon late last night, and my wife called me. She was picking me up some Sonic, which is far superior to cookout. Amen? Amen. We'll get there. Not an amen in the bunch. Okay. All right. Jacob, get his termination papers. Um, Let's start filling those out tonight. We're going to replace him with somebody scrawny, too. I'm not hiring another muscle guy. <laughs> you got to get somebody scrawny in here. Me. Uh, my wife was picking me up some Sonic, which I love. I love the number two combo. I get the double cheeseburger, and I love it. And uh, she, caught, she, she was texting me. She's like, Daniel, this is taking forever. She's like, every single spot. I put in the order. What would you do? Put in the mobile order? Put in the mobile order. It gets the Sonic. Every single spot's taken up. She, you ever been there with Sonic? I have. You're driving around in circles trying to get a spot. And she, I remember her being so frustrated. She's like, why? I need a spot. I need a spot. I need to get in, and I need to get out which is how all of us treat our lives. We go through things where we just get in, get what we want, and get out. And she, I sound like I was dogging my wife, but she's trying to find a spot, and she doesn't understand why she can't find a spot. And then finally, after like 20, 30 minutes of her wasting her time, it felt like a spot opens up. And she pulls into the spot, and as she's waiting for the food, what's so cool is, how old? 11th grader now? 12th grader? Comes out with Sonic Order. Looks at my wife, who's a ninth grade English teacher, and goes, oh, Miss! Quinn, 
was her maiden name. Miss Quinn, I haven't seen you in forever. And she tells my wife, you were the greatest English teacher ever. And she starts going on and on about how she understands pronouns and vocabulary and, you know, I don't know, spelling and, you know, all these great things that you do in English and, you know, uh, Edgar Allan Poe. And she starts, <laughs> she starts telling my wife, you are an amazing teacher. I love you. I love you. I love you. And my wife called me and she told me, she was like, Daniel, I was so frustrated because my plan was to get in and get out, but God held me up so that I could get that encouragement. You know, sometimes God may hold you up sim simply so that he can encourage you. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? I sat there, I told my wife, I said, I'm going to share that in a sermon. Taylor, because she wants to get in, get out, and lo and behold, but she don't realize why God is calling her to be patient and so that he can encourage her. You know, if you would simply slow down and be patient, God might encourage you. God might send you something at the right time when you need it. But we're also my plan, my plan, my plan. Get in, get out. If God ever throws me a curveball, if he makes me wait, if he doesn't answer the prayer that I want him to, the way I want him to, I'm, through, I'm, I'm having a fit. I'm done. One of the things I wrote down, I don't believe this will be on the screen, but I want you to write it down. Submitting to Christ and being a control freak can't exist at the same time. I got to wake you up tonight. What James is saying is simply this. Submitting to Christ and being a control freak cannot exist at the same time in your spiritual walk. It doesn't work. If Jesus is Lord, that means you sacrifice that title of self-Lord. <laughs> that means he determines your path. He dictates your calling. You don't dictate your calling. Why? Because, again, he owns tomorrow. You don't even know tomorrow. I think he knows what to do with it a little bit better than you and I do. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Submission. Submitting to Jesus Christ. It's not popular. You don't hear this on sound bites on Instagram. What you hear on Instagram, the sound bites and TikTok, is follow your feelings and follow your heart. <laughs> Following your heart will lead you off a cliff into an ocean with sharks swimming all around it. That's exactly where following your heart will lead you. Why, Daniel? You don't know my heart. You're right, I don't. I know my own. And what I know about human beings is this. I know that one day our heart is sold and completely devoted to wanting one thing, and then we wake up the next day and it's gone. <laughs> gone. We're obsessed with this one thing. If I can just get this one thing, if I can just get this one thing, my heart loves it, my heart needs it. I know you've been there with a boy or a girl before. <laughs> This person is everything I've wanted. I've, I've loved this person. I want to marry this person. And then you start getting to know that person a little bit, and you're like, ah, yeah, they're nice. They're cool. But Mary? My heart may have jumped forward a little bit. Forgive me. And I know you are like me. Follow your heart. That's bad advice. In fact, Psalm 16, verse 8, I love this verse. You want to memorize an encouraging verse this week, memorize this one. It says that the psalmist says, I always let the Lord guide me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. <laughs> Don't you love that? I always let the Lord guide me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Now let me talk to you for a minute. I'm 27, I'm not that much older than you. Grew up right here in Memphis just like some of you did. Why do you worry, stress, and overthink? Why? Because statistically, this generation spends more time worrying, stressing, and overthinking than many previous generations. Why? And I'm serious. I just want you to think, why is my and your day-to-day -day lives so filled with worry, stress, and overthinking? I wrote this down. 
It's because we crave control. We want to be in control. And I know this ain't popular, but hear me, hear me. I'm going to tell you the why, and I'm going to show you scripturally too. The reason why you and I, hear me, the reason why you and I pursue control in our lives is not necessarily that we're all tyrants. It's not necessarily that we all are dictators and we want to be in control all the time. It's not necessarily that. Hear me out. I'm letting you off the hook on that part. That's not always the reason. Here's why. The reason you and I pursue control often is because we think once we get it, we'll finally have peace. I really believe that in my core. We pursue control because we think if we're fully in control, we'll finally have that peace our soul wants so desperately. But here's the thing. Since you can't control life, peace always escapes you. The minute that you do get a control of your life, a family member gets sick. The minute you get control of your career, phone call. Hey, we've got to deduct your salary a little bit. Hey, we actually don't have that position that we thought we did. The minute you get control of your friend group, somebody steps in and betrays you. The minute you get control of your school, I had a paper I didn't even realize. <laughs> Slipped through the cracks. Zero. And what happens is, seriously, you think, I think, once we get our hands fully in control of our lives, then we'll have peace. But the reason peace keeps escaping us is because control will always escape us. We cannot control life. You cannot control life. And here's what I wrote down. The moment you find peace, it's a paradox. The moment you find peace is the moment that you give control over to the Prince of Peace. Incredible. The moment you find peace is the moment you give control over to the Prince of Peace. In fact, Jesus said in John 16, verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered this world. When God throws you a curveball, when you know you are called to do something that you don't quite understand, obey. When I was coaching basketball, and it was at the middle school level before I was at the high school level, when I was coaching basketball, I was doing big man drills. Right? Some of y'all know basketball. Big man drills where you catch the ball in the post and you got to take two dribbles and then you got to turn and do the little drop step or whatever. I was working on that with middle schoolers. And there was this kid that just frustrated the mess out of me because he had all the potential in the world, but every single time he wouldn't necessarily do it quite right or he wouldn't go hard enough or he wouldn't bend his knees. He just would kind of go through the motions in some area and wouldn't focus all the way in. And this morning, because we did morning practices, I was on this kid's tail. <laughs> I was just letting him have it. I was going in on him, and the drill ends, and my plan, I'm so frustrated, I'm just ready to get out of practice, I'm 19 years old, I'm ready to get out, I'm ready to go to my college classes, I'm like fed up, like I don't want to talk to anybody else in this practice, I'm just frustrated. And in my innermost being, I sensed the need to encourage this kid, and to say something to this kid. But everything in me, my plan, my flesh, said no, <laughs> no. This kid did this wrong, that wrong, this wrong, that wrong. There's no way I'm saying anything else to him. But I knew in my innermost being I was supposed to. And so the kid comes jogging by, and I say, come here. You know, can't be too soft on him now. It wasn't like, come here, you know, come here. Comes jogging over to me, eighth grader. And in this moment, it was one of the first times I ever did this as a coach. I put my hand on his shoulder. Still do it now with certain people, especially Sean and Paul and sometimes Alice, <laughs> if he's not frustrating me, put my hand on his shoulder. And I looked at him. I did not know why I was going to say this, but I said it to him. I said, hey, do you know why I'm so hard on you all the time? 
And literally, so simply, he shook his head. He's like, no. <laughs> like, I really don't know. Please tell me, because, like, this is rough. I looked this kid in the eyes, eighth grade, and I said this to him. I had no idea why I said it until years later. I said, I'm hard on you because you could be something special. As the words came out of my mouth, I said, where in the world did that come from? And this kid looked at me, and this was one of the first moments I saw him really believe, Hannah, what I was saying and buy into my coaching. That kid was in eighth grade, Dakota Tucker. <laughs> and for me and him, that was one of the first moments we ever had where we actually tore past just coaching player and actually had a real relationship between us two. But my plan was to get out of practice, stay frustrated at him, stay angry at him. But I'm so glad that I didn't obey my flesh, that I actually listened and did what I was supposed to do because that relationship now has formed over years. And I want to tell you something. The Spirit of God, every single day, wherever you go, the grocery store, your family, the Bible study here at The View, wherever you are, the Spirit of God is constantly impressing on your heart. The Spirit is a person impressing on your heart to use your words to encourage and love and reach out to people and get out of your own way. Get out of your own plan. And I miss those moments every single day because I'm so selfish. And you know what? I'm not the only one in this room that's selfish too. You are missing God moments in your life by trying to stick to your plan. What's sad is this generation plans out our days so much that we don't even have any room for the Spirit to operate. We're hour by hour, minute by minute. God has no room to work. And in fact, even in this room tonight, I believe in a room this big, the Spirit of God is impressing on your heart right now somebody to share the gospel with, to encourage, to love, to exhort, to be there for. Now I'm going to give you two quick things, very quickly, subpoints underneath this, because I want to give you some action steps, very straightforward, easy to say, hard to do, but here it is. How do you plan but not put your faith in your plans? Because on the real, you're in college, you're living life, you have a career, you got to make plans. You can't sit around and do nothing. You've got to make plans. So how do you do that? I want to help you, scripturally speaking. The first one is this, and it's very simple, but we don't do it. A is focus on Christ, not on yourself. As simple as it is, praise God that we have a Messiah we can look to. <laughs> praise God we have a perfect, sinless Savior that we can look to. When you are making plans, ask yourself, is this plan for me or is this plan for for Jesus Christ. Get your focus off of you. I've got to get my focus off of me. Otherwise, if our focus is on us, our faith will be in us. And our faith will be in our plans. But not only that, B, focus on eternity, not on this world. See, when you focus on this world, you will waste time pursuing it. If you would focus on eternity, you'd start doing things that truly matter in eternity. We are a distracted generation, and we do not focus on kingdom work, the kingdom work. Now, what's amazing here, before I move on, I want to point you to one other thing here, and it's in verse 13. Look with me one more time at that, at the thing he quotes here in verse 13. There's, this is so important. I want to point this out to you because there's a couple cross-references to the Sermon on the Mount that I want to give you here. Now, when he says this, when he quotes this person, notice he talks about three things here, travel, doing business, and making a profit. In these three things, not one word, hear me out on this for real, not one word was uttered about God. Whoever James is quoting, not one word was uttered about the kingdom. Not one word. But they talk about travel, which isn't a bad thing, doing business, which isn't a bad thing, and making a profit, which isn't a bad thing. However, not one word was said about using any of that for the kingdom of God. 
I want to ask you a question. Why are you getting the degree that you're getting? Has anybody ever asked you that? Like, not just to hear what you're going to do with it, but why? I didn't ask, what are you going to do with your degree? Most times people say, oh, Trey, what are you going to do with your degree? Why are you getting the degree you're getting? Why do you wake up and go to the job you go to? Why? What is your why? Is it just to travel? That's great, but if that's it, isn't that shallow? Is it just to do business? That's great, but isn't that shallow? If it's just to make a profit, that's great, but isn't that shallow? Why? If your why is anything except glorifying God's kingdom, it will not last for eternity. Why? Because if you do your degree, if you go to college, if you go around your family, if you go to your work, if you go to these things looking to make much of the name of Jesus and not much of your own name, that's where you'll truly find a life that matters. That is where you will find a life that matters. But if you do these things, if you're getting your degree, if you're in college, if you have a job, if you do those things for you, joy and peace will always escape you. And sadly, one of the saddest conversations I have to have is with college students who graduate, and they look at me, they sit across from me at the table, and I say, man, tell me about your college experience. And they look at me, and they know, and they say this. They say, I wasted it. They say, I spent the whole four years living for me. I did not make much of the name of Jesus. I was too busy making much of my own name. Remember, you are a missionary first who just happens to be a college student, not the other way around. Don't call yourself a college student who just happens to be a missionary. Don't call yourself an engineer who just happens to be a missionary. No, 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 no. You are a missionary who just happens to be a doctor. You are a missionary who just happens to be a member of the Harris family or the Tucker family or whatever. You are a missionary. And the way to a life that matters is glorifying God and extending God's kingdom, making much of his name and much of his kingdom and not your own. Why do you do the things that you do? Where is your treasure? I'm just talking to you tonight. We're not hooping and hollering. We're having a conversation about life. Where is your treasure? Jesus says in Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, 19 to 21, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. I love the last line, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. For a lot of us, we can't follow God's plan because our heart is consumed with our plan. When I was coaching basketball, I saw a lot of double-minded athletes looking at the bleachers and looking at the sidelines. And if you watch middle school and high school players, you'll see it. They do this right here. They look at the bench. They look at the stands. They look at the bench. They look at the stands. The whole time, it drives them crazy. They can't even play well. You see it in, in football. You see it in tennis. You see it anywhere. You know why? They do that to the stands, back to the bench, to the stands, back to the bench. Because they're trying to serve two masters. They're listening to coach, but then they're also trying to listen to their parents. They've got the game plan and the instruction from coach, but then they hear their friends yelling something different at school. And so their mind is trying to serve two masters. And you know what? That's how a lot of believers live their life in this world. 
a lot of believers live their life just like this. Boom, 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 boom. Can't even focus on where they're going because they receive God's instruction, they receive God's plan, they receive God's call, but then they keep looking at everything else in the world. Let me look at the world and see what the world thinks first. What does the world say first? And then I'll come back to God and see which one do I like better. Okay, God tells me to die to myself, but when I run to the culture, the culture tells me live for you, make as much money as you can, build your name, build your social media platform. And you know what? I kind of like that. And the longer you keep looking, you get a little drawn to it like a fly with a light. And you keep getting a little drawn to it. And then you turn around and look back at God's word and it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And you start realizing, man, the word of God tells me to live for Jesus Christ a Middle Eastern Jewish rabbi 2,000 years ago. But the world says I can live for me and I can make much of my name and I can have all the girls and the guys and the money and the cars and I can have everything in the world. But what's God saying? And we keep turning back and turning back and turning back and turning back. God tells me to repent of my sin, that I can't just live however I want to live, that pornography is wrong, that living for myself is wrong, that sex before marriage is wrong, that it's a sin, that that's not God's design. But when I look at the world, though, and I keep doing that double take, just like a player on the court, I keep doing that double take. God tells me to repent of sexual sin. But when I look at TikTok, I see that sexual sin is okay. When I look at Instagram, I see that sexual sin is okay. That fulfilling any bodily desire I have, whenever I have that desire is okay. The world says it's okay. So when I come back to God's word and it says repent, I don't want it no more. Because the world's telling me everything I want to hear. And I don't realize that the Bible's telling me everything I need to hear. And we keep running, running, running to the culture. And that's how Christians choose the world over holiness. What does the Bible say about money? Does it say money is the root of all evil? Nope. But it does say the love of money is the root of all evil. But then when I see all these houses online... When I see all these beautiful marriages online, when I see all these incredible cars and boats and vacations online, I see all these things online, I kind of want to love money because I think it could satisfy me. And if not, sometimes believers say I'd rather be sad in the world than joyful in God's word. It's happening all across America. Where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? My last sermon of this semester before our worship night next week, I couldn't end it without telling you where your treasure has to be. There is nothing better than Jesus Christ. There will be nothing better than Jesus Christ. Money did not die on the cross for your sins. There's no house that died on the cross for your sins. There's no friend that died on the cross for your sins. There's no boyfriend or girlfriend that died on the cross for your sins. There's no social media platform that died on the cross for your sins. Jesus Christ perfect and sinless, died on the cross for your sins. Stop worshiping everything else in this world and realize that Jesus is the only name worth worshiping. He is your treasure. And I got to tell you, man, just being real with you, life goes too fast. Life is too much of seasons to put your faith in this life. The only way you can make it is by putting your faith in eternity. Because life is short, but eternity is eternal. The only way you're going to make it is by placing your treasure in eternity, not in this world. Because the minute you get that one thing that you think will be your treasure, something else will be taken away and you'll be just as sad. i got to keep going. Don't be this. Don't do that. James says, don't be double-minded. Look at this and look intently at the perfect law of freedom. The one who does that and perseveres in it will be blessed. 
Blessed is the one when he endures trials because God will give him the crown of life that he has promised to those who love him. Blessed is the one who endures trials. Matthew 6, 33, a verse we're all familiar with that's missing in James 13. Since this is a commentary on Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. But not only that, number one, not only would you not, you wouldn't put your faith in your plans, but number two, you wouldn't do tomorrow what you can do today. If you and I knew how short life really is, to be honest with you, what James is saying, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. We would not wait for tomorrow to do that which can be done today. One word, procrastination. We are pros at procrastination. I'm doing my master's work. If I have an assignment due at 1159, I'm starting that joke at 1059. Like, I'm going to find a way to procrastinate. I know you hear me. They give me assignments for the full eight weeks, and somehow it all falls to week seven. (laughs) It's amazing. Procrastination. It's incredible. I wrote this down. If you knew how short life was, you wouldn't keep putting off tomorrow what you can do today. The final illustration I have before we end with the gospel, really the last one is, I know that you have parents in your life. You know, I don't know what your relationship is like with your parents. You know, I don't want to pretend like I know. I know that many of you maybe come from broken homes, divorced homes, abuse. We don't talk about that in the church a lot. The homes where abuse occurred, neglect, hurt, loneliness. Some of you, praise God, had an incredible home, people that loved you, shared the gospel with you, discipled you, taught you the word, taught you how to pray. Praise God. God's faithful in both of those situations. Amen? And I want to say something that one of our students said. Whatever hurt has come from your earthly father, don't project that on your heavenly father. We've all seen our earthly parents fail and sin. But just because our earthly father and our earthly mother may sin and fall, don't project that on a holy father in heaven. I don't know who that's for tonight, but hear me. Don't do it. Your father may have been absent in your life. You may have never had a vulnerable moment with your father on this earth in your life. But I want to tell you, your father in heaven is not short on love and affirmation and vulnerability. When I was getting ready to move out, I was 22 years old. I was about to move out at my parents' house. And I had lived in one house my whole life, Bartlett, Tennessee. Grew up behind the high school, went to Bartlett all through, and uh, I was getting ready to move out. I packed my car up. I was sad. I'm really close with both my parents, but my dad is one that I spent a whole lot of time hanging out with. I hung out with my dad a lot, like some of you did. My dad's a simple guy. He fixed his cars, and he had a flip phone until 2018, and, you know, ran out of minutes and stuff like that, you know. My dad had it on his belt for a little while, <laughs> clipped on in case he had to take a quick phone call. Hello? <laughs> And uh, I was getting ready to move out. And me and my dad, you know how it is. We don't just have vulnerable moments all the time. We don't just cry or, or say deep things all the time. You just don't do that with your parents all the time, you know. And we had not had one of those moments. But when I was getting ready to move out, my dad had been one of my best friends the entire time I lived at home. 
We watch TV shows together. We play games together. We spent time together. And really, for 22 years, my dad was one of the best friends my entire life. And probably the person I spent the most time with for 22 years. And I remember clear as day. I was a believer. I had just gotten saved. I loaded my car up. I had all my stuff in my car. My clothes were in a trash bag, you know, because I didn't have suitcases. Some of y'all can relate. Some of you world travelers can't, but loaded all my stuff up in my car, and I walked back in the house, and my dad was in there, lifting his weights, doing his dumbbell, you know, he had a little home set. And I say, all right, Dad, I'm out. He's like, all right, buddy, you know, calls me buddy. Love you. I'm like, love you too. You know, we do like a little side hug, and I walk out. I get in my car. I drive to the top of my street, and I stop at the stop sign, and I sit there for probably five minutes. And if you've ever been in this kind of situation with the Lord, you know. As I was sitting there at the stop sign, I know this is for somebody tonight. As I was sitting there at the stop sign, the Lord spoke to me as clear as I can hear him. The Lord told me, Daniel, you had so much more to say to your dad. Why didn't you? What I really wanted to tell my dad, what I knew the Spirit of God told me to tell my dad was, thank you. Has the Lord ever put it on your heart to tell somebody in your life, thank you? He said, you should have told your dad, thank you. For what? For loving you, for caring about you, for being your best friend, for pointing you to Jesus, for, for being there for you when nobody else would be there, your mom and your dad, for being there for you when nobody else would be there for you. You know, for some of you, your parents have been there for you, when nobody, was else, when nobody else was there for you, but you don't treat them like it. For some of you, man, this is college age. Hear this. Some of you need to call your parents tonight. I was supposed to tell my dad in that moment, thank you for being my best friend, for loving me, for caring about me when nobody else did. Thank you for watching shows with me. Thank you for goofing off and, and eating meals and being there for me. But I didn't because of fear of vulnerability and fear of saying what I knew I was supposed to say. I told the Lord this in my O2 Ford Focus, which was a girl's car, and I had long hair, so people thought I was a girl sometimes, sitting at this stop sign. I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I'll be back tomorrow. I'll tell him then. Clear as day, God said, how do you know you or he even has a tomorrow? Everything James is saying. And for one of the first times, Will, in my life, I didn't have an answer for God. As a new believer, I had no answer for God. Turned my car around, sped up the driveway, you know, hair flying because my window was down. I was like, there goes that girl again, you know. <laughs> Pull up in the driveway. And I run in the house, find my dad. He's moved on to, you know, bigger weights. I say, Dad, I need to tell you something, because I don't know if we have tomorrow. <laughs> and he's like, did you wreck the car? <laughs> you know, like, what happened? <laughs> you know, what went wrong? <laughs> and I look at my dad, and I, I say, one of the most real moments we've ever had in our life. I say, Dad, thank you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving me food. Thank you for giving me clothes. Thank you for being there for me when you never had to. Thank you. 
I've never forgotten this moment with me and my dad. He cried, I cried. It's a little embarrassing, but it's fine. <laughs> but this is still to this day a moment me and my dad talk about because we've never forgotten it. But you know what? As I said at that stop sign, I was so close to missing it. Can I ask you a question? What are you putting off to tomorrow? What are you waiting for? As God asked me that day, do you know that you have a tomorrow? You know, for some of you, there's somebody in your life that you haven't forgiven. And God put this on my heart in service yesterday as I was sitting there. And I don't know who this is for, but I believe that this will set somebody free. There's somebody that you haven't forgiven that you keep saying, tomorrow I'll do it. The longer you hold on to forgive unforgiveness, and I hope you never forget this. The longer you hold on to unforgiveness, that is like holding on to the blade of a knife. Imagine a knife in your hand. And the harder that you hold on to unforgiveness, the deeper it cuts you. And until you truly forgive and until you truly let go, you won't find the healing that you're looking for. You think holding on to unforgiveness, you're hurting you, but you're hurting. You think you're hurting them. You're not. You're hurting you. It's cutting you deeper and deeper. If Christ can pray for those who are persecuting him, crucifying him, who in the world can you and I not forgive? Who? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do as he's being taken to the cross, tortured and beaten. Who can we not forgive? I want to ask you, college students, as simply as I can, what are you waiting for tomorrow that God is calling you to do today? One of my favorite verses that I've been reading in Proverbs is this right here. Proverbs 3, 27 and 28. I love this. It'll be on the screen in just a minute. It says, when it is in your power, don't withhold good from the one to whom it belongs. Don't say to your neighbor, go away, come back later. I'll give it tomorrow when it is there with you. Waiting for tomorrow is the easiest way to waste your life. I know I need to disciple. PJ talked about being discipled. I know I need to disciple, but I'm putting it off to tomorrow because I'm so afraid. I'm so fearful. I know I need to share the gospel with my family member, my friend, my coworker. I know I need to, but I'm putting it off tomorrow. You don't know if they have tomorrow. You don't know if you have tomorrow. Life, I wrote this down. Life is too short to not spend it living for Jesus Christ. If you knew how short life really is, you wouldn't place your faith in this world. You'd place it in heaven. If you knew how short life really is, you wouldn't worry over the opinions of man because you trust the opinions of God. If you knew how short life really is, you wouldn't waste another day, another hour, another minute. If you really knew how short your life is, you would not waste it. If only you and I knew. If only we knew. I want to say something to you. It's not about the length of a life. It's about the quality of life. <laughs> it's not about the length of a life. It's about the quality of life. Jesus only had 33 years on this planet. And look at what he did with his life. <laughs> three years of public ministry, Zach. Three years of public ministry. And look what he did with those three years of ministry. You know what? If you went to the doctor because you had a health issue and you're in the waiting room with your family and your friends and the doctor were to come out, Sean, and say, I'm so sorry to tell you this, but you only have three years to live, you could rejoice because you had the perfect example of how to live a life that matters in three years by Jesus Christ. He began his ministry at 30 and he was crucified 
ascended, resurrected, ascended into heaven when he was 33. He had three years of public ministry. Some of us are going to live longer than Jesus. Some of us are going to live twice as long as Jesus. My question for you is, how much of that lifespan are you going to devote to the Lord Jesus Christ? Some of us are going to live to 70. Some of us are going to live to 80. Some of us might not make it to 30. Nobody in this room actually knows. And I want to ask you, what is your life for? What are you living for? Who are you living for? What is your life's purpose? Why are you here tonight? What you hold in your hand, look at your Bible for a moment. Everybody in the room, Mac, I see you in the back, your Bible. What you hold in your hand. There are thousands and thousands of people around the world who do not have a copy of this. There are believers in the world right now who the only scripture they have is a scripture they've memorized. I wonder if you and me were thrown into jail, how much scripture we have. What you hold in your hand is the perfect word of God. The instruction on how to live a life that matters. I want to say this to you. What you choose to do with this is the most important decision you will ever make in your life. And some of you keep saying, I'll get to it tomorrow. I'll read tomorrow. I'll pray tomorrow. I'll repent tomorrow. But life is a vapor. And you don't know if you have tomorrow, and I don't know if I have tomorrow. Don't waste your life. I beg you, I implore you, don't waste your life.